This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A campaign is underway to honor a Canadian veteran with the country's highest military medal for his actions in Afghanistan 15 years ago. Jess LaRochelle saved a platoon of his comrades outside Kandahar, but his heroics took a horrible physical and emotional toll on him. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Senior National Post features writer Joe O'Connor joins me to discuss what happened that day in October 2006, how LaRochelle saved his fellow soldiers, and the push to see him given the Canadian Victoria Cross. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Joe, we're approaching Remembrance Day. We're at the time of year where Canadians are reflecting on the service of our armed forces, whether that's in the First and Second World War, the Korean War, or, you know, our most recent military engagement in Afghanistan. You wrote a very compelling, heart-wrenching feature recently about one soldier who served in Afghanistan, Private Jess LaRochelle, who is a member of... I believe it was 33 Bravo team. I want to get into the details of this soldier's experience, but first, what is the 33 Bravo team and where and when did they serve in Afghanistan? So the 33 Bravo team is a unit in the Royal Canadian Regiment, a section they would call it in army lingo, consisting of 10 soldiers and the Royal Canadian Regiment was sent to Afghanistan in 2006 and the Bravo team, along with the platoon they were enfolded in, served in a couple different areas. But in the area where Jesse La Rochelle stood up and stood tall for his uh, uh, battle buddies, the Canadians were operating not far from Kandahar. And Canadians might remember that as Kandahar Airfield, where we'd watch repatriation ceremonies of coffins of Canadians coming home. And near a small little town uh, or village, I guess you'd call it or not even, called Pashmul, Afghanistan. This area was just, there was a road that the Canadians were building at the time. And so this is where a 33 Bravo team was operating in the fall of 2006. It was difficult terrain and it was full of Taliban. And the road over time became known as ambush alley. So when you talk about perils and hazards of war, this was an incredibly dangerous place. And this is where 33 Bravo team was operating. You talk in your feature about the events of a day in question just over 15 years ago on October 14th, 2006. What happened with 33 Bravo team on that day? So the Canadians at the time Basically, their job was to support this road building project. And this project was designed as kind of make it easier for villagers to access markets in Kandahar and also make it easier for Canadian troops to move around. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine in your head, there's a road being built. And I'm not talking like a highway 
outside of Calgary or Toronto, <laughs> but, a, but a bulldozed area being pushed through pretty blasted out landscape in Afghanistan farm fields. And this is where 33 Bravo team is operating. And their job basically is, okay, protect the road, patrol in the area around it, protect the team that's building the road. So October 14th, 2006, this is their mission, at least for that day, where they've been instructed to go up to something called Strong Point Center and just picture a fort. And atop the fort, there's an observation post. And this is kind of where they're going to be patrolling on that day, October 14, 2006. Now, not to be the herald of maybe bad things or foreshadow, but the day itself gets off to a, a pretty inauspicious start for the Canadians. Not for 33 Bravo team specifically, but for the troops operating in the area. They have a lav, if Canadians might remember, light armored vehicle. It runs over one, blows off a tire and disables the vehicle. There's some troops injured. Thankfully, no one is hurt more than being concussed. So that vehicle is basically taken out of the area and all the troops who were assigned to it are also pulled back from the area. So what that means for 33 Bravo team, this team of 10 soldiers, is, well, yes, they have their lav, but the Canadian numbers are thinner. So now the Canadians are a little undermanned and a little undergunned, but still they're pressing ahead with their mission for that day. And if we see around noon or a little afternoon, probably pushing into closer to two o'clock in the afternoon, the 33 Bravo section has come back. They've gone out in the patrol and they've come back to Strong Point Center. And again, if you can picture a fort. And now where is this fort and what does the landscape around it look like? In Afghanistan, the farmers grow grapes, but they're grape rows. You know, you might picture here or picture in Italy a trellis with grapes hanging down. On. But not so in Afghanistan. They're basically these walls that the grapes are sort of tossed over. And the walls run from waist height to head height. And running around the whole area are irrigation ditches that are sunk below the earth. So what does that mean for the Canadians? Well, they're operating in this area where the Taliban have walls to hide behind and these irrigation ditches to move through, which are actually below ground and completely invisible to the naked eye. So again, it's a really sort of precarious region and dangerous. And one of the soldiers I spoke to who at the time was a master corporal, Jeremy LeBlanc, he described it as probably the most complex terrain for an infantry soldier to operate in. So this is a dangerous place. Now, the Canadians, or the men from 33 Bravo team, they gather at Strong Point Center to take a nap, to eat their lunch, to decompress, to get ready for the afternoon. Because in Afghanistan at this time, picture a bleach blue sky, just bacon hot. Like the temperatures are pushing past 40 as you get in the afternoon. So the Canadians have sought refuge at Strong Point Center. And atop the fort is an observation post. And the soldiers take turns up in the observation post. You get your two-hour shift or your one-hour shift. And up in the observation post, there's 
a rocket launcher, which one person can use, and a couple of machine guns just to defend the position and to observe out in these fields where literally, if you look out, you might see no one when there might be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 200 bad guys out there, so to speak. So around 2.15, 2.30 on October 14, 2006, it's Jesse LaRochelle's. Jess's name is Jess LaRochelle. However, all his pals in the Army did and still do refer to him as Jesse. It's his turn to take up position in the observation post, which, of course, he does. And when there's a crackling over the radio, word comes through on the Canadian's radio, contact imminent. And then at that moment, as it was described to me by uh, Jeremy LeBlanc, all hell broke loose at Strong Point Center. The Canadian position, they were hit with rocket-propelled grenades, heavy machine gun fire. Everything you can think of was pouring into that Canadian position at Strong Point Center. Mm -hmm. And the Canadian lab, the 33 Bravo team's lab, was struck. Two men were killed instantly. And the observation post above the fort was also hit. And that's where Jesse La Rochelle was holed up watching for the Taliban advance in this particular attack. Mm -hmm. In the moments that followed, La Rochelle, who was knocked unconscious in the initial attack, somehow gets back on his feet. Uh, We only find out later that he's broken his back in two places. So knocked out, pops back on his feet with a broken back, and he picks up one machine gun, And because of his elevated position, he can see the Taliban kind of sifting through these great rows. He can actually get a visual on the enemy, whereas his comrades down below, they can't see anything. They're flying blind. So at this point, he's the only person with eyes on the Taliban. And La Rochelle empties one machine gun, fires it until there's no more bullets. He picks up the second machine gun fires it until there's no more bullets. He picks up the rocket launcher and starts firing it. Boom, 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 boom. All the while, the rest of his section down below, where two men, Sergeant Darcy Tedford and Private Blake Williamson, have been killed, and two other men, including Jeremy LeBlanc, have been injured, they're having their own chaotic difficulties. And the lab, this light-armored vehicle, it's got two heavy guns on it, and both of them have jammed. So the Canadians down below in the fort are more or less sitting ducks. And the only thing standing between them and the position, the fort being entirely overrun, is Jesse La Rochelle with his broken back, with his concussion, firing away at the Taliban and firing until the attack itself dissipates and the Taliban melts away. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So he single-handedly staved off this attack, despite the fact that he had a broken back, a concussion, 
and managed to somehow kind of gather his wits about him and hold off what could have been far worse for him and his unit. 100%. And the rest of the Canadians, he bought them time to rally, mm-hmm. sort out the gun issue. And there are other Canadian troops in the area, sort of get the situation sorted out to the point where they could adequately defend Strong Point Center. But until that moment, the last line of defense was one private with a broken back, a couple of machine guns, and a rocket launcher sitting atop a fort and holding back a Taliban advance. Mm-hmm. And Jesse's comrades say quite candidly and told me that he saved their lives, no question. And had he not been there, obviously more lives would have been lost, and perhaps the entire section, as well as the platoon, completely overrun. So it was an incredibly precarious moment for the Canadians. And again, one guy with a busted back, a banged up head, atop a fort, is holding back the Taliban until the rest of the team can rally and stave off the assault. Was La Rochelle recognized for his actions that day? He was awarded the Star of Military Valor subsequent to the day. And I'd be remiss if I didn't add, after that day, he didn't go and tell the medics, look, my back's killing me. I've got an issue. He waited until after he'd taken part in the Kandahar ramp ceremony, meaning he'd helped carry the coffins of both Sergeant Tedford and his friend, dear friend, Blake Williamson, onto that plane that would fly them home to Canada. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to reports to the medics that, hey, I've got a back issue. So that's an interesting and <laughs> incredibly brave nugget to add to his story of heroism. But back to your question, Jesse was subsequently uh, awarded the Star of Military Valor, which in the Canadian pecking order of military decorations sits second from the top. It's an incredible honor in itself, just one step below the Canadian Victoria Cross, which is a medal that was basically created in 1993. However, it's never been awarded to a Canadian. Mm -hmm. Previous to the Canadian version of the medal, there was the British Victoria Cross that listeners might be familiar with Mm -hmm. that has been awarded 99 times. But the Canadian version of the medal has sat there on a shelf and never been pinned to a soldier's chest yet. But there is a campaign out to get Jess La Rochelle awarded the Victoria Cross. What sparked that campaign? Well, it's a few interesting things. It's old soldiers, comrades in arms, people who were there, eyewitnesses to events. This, of course, like October 14, 2006, is a horrible day. It's a terrible day. Mm-hmm. Two men are killed. So at the bedrock of the heroics, it's an awful day. And the men who survived it have forever been grateful for what Jesse did for them. Some of them are still in the military service and some have left. But in the years since, and about probably in the last 18 months, there's been this effort to look back at the past, look back at Afghanistan, look back at what Jesse did and maybe look at elevating his medal to a Victoria Cross because he deserves it and because of what he did that day. And I think the impetus of that campaign is old comrades in arms never forgetting what he did and wanting him to be acknowledged for it. There is an urgency to it. Mm -hmm. Another chapter to Jesse's story, and of course to every soldier's story, is that 
the ones that are lucky enough to survive come home. And the Jesse LaRochelle, an outdoor loving, peaceful kid from North Bay, who grew up in a military family, grew up around military traditions, who loved the life of it. Uh, he came home and his war injuries, his back, his brain from the concussions, his psyche were forever scarred by that day. He is not the same young man who went off to war in 2006. And I think that is part of the reason that his former comrades and others outside of the Royal Canadian Regiment, others, are so interested in seeing him recognized now. What is his current state? What effect did you know his service to Canada and the events of that day have on him? Is he suffering from severe PTSD? Is he suffering from other ailments, depression, things like that? What is his current health status? Now, what I know conclusively, and I spoke at length for the story with his father, and I spoke to Jesse himself, but but Jesse came home and would subsequently be diagnosed with severe post-traumatic stress disorder. He's basically permanently disabled. He does have some physical challenges because of his back mm-hmm. and because of the initial blast on October 14, 2006. It rattled his brain around. However, he thinks about that attack often. Mm-hmm. He thinks about his friends who were killed that day. And it's limited his life to the extent where he lives on a lake outside of North Bay. His dad, Randy LaRochelle, who's a veteran himself, built a duplex. Jesse lives on the ground floor. His parents live upstairs and they care for him, basically. He can still get out and about, but his life is very limited. Mm-hmm. That's where Jesse is in his life. And the pandemic itself was really kind of crushing for him. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. He had his pancreas removed. He had a whole sort of battery of health problems throughout the pandemic. Thankfully, according to his dad, he seems to be coming out of that. But on his very best days, Jesse LaRochelle, on his very best days, he's happy to be outside. He has a pontoon boat and he lives on a lake outside North Bay and he'll roar around on the lake. But he doesn't have many good days like that. His life was altered and it was altered on that one day. And his friends have never forgotten him for it. And in speaking with Jesse, as I did for the interview, he described events as chaos. Mm -hmm. His memory of that day is of the chaos. And as he said to me, he thinks about it often. And he mostly he thinks about his friends who didn't make it and the friends who did and who've never forgotten them. So it's a, it's a real bond between soldiers under duress. And I think within that, his old comrades want to see him justly recognized for what he did for them and for what he did for this country. What does he make of the campaign to get him awarded our highest military honor. It has to be, I imagine, bittersweet for him. As you say, he thinks about that day. Often he lost friends that day. He saved friends, but it's greatly impacted his life, caused him a severe physical injury, emotional scarring. What does he feel about the notion that people are campaigning for him to get this honor and also to possibly receive this honor? It's interesting because in terms of the campaign around him, how does Jesse feel about it? Well, he's humbled because he understands that the people driving the campaign 
are the people he served with, some of them, and that they haven't forgotten him and he hasn't forgotten them. So he's humbled by it. He's also incredibly proud. He has, even though that moment changed his life, Mm -hmm. he stepped up, he saved people. And in doing so, in a sense, he sacrificed his own future. He's not the same guy that he would have been. He hasn't lived the life he could have. So within that, he's humbled that people are still thinking of him, that they've remembered that they haven't forgotten. He's obviously honored. And he's, as his dad said, he's okay with it. His father was really interesting talking to Randy because he talked to Jesse about the campaign and because Jesse's not big on the social media. He doesn't follow the news. He's not plugged in that way. So his dad was the one who said, basically broached this idea like, hey, there's this campaign that's growing up around you. How do you feel about it? And his dad was a little... Not reluctant at first, but nervous at first because Jesse was so proud of what he did in the first place and of his star of military valor. His dad was a little bit worried that maybe Jesse was content with what he'd had as is, that he'd be fine with what he had and didn't want more. However, Jesse's given his blessing to the campaign and he's grateful for it. But more than anything, he's a humble guy. So more than anything, he's humbled by it and grateful that the people that know him best and that served with him and that remember that day and that were there that day haven't forgotten and are still thinking and looking out for him just as he looked out for them all those years ago. What is a somber reminder of the horrors that our soldiers faced as they fought in Afghanistan and obviously in other wars before them, an important story to tell. Joe, thanks for your time. No problem. It's my pleasure. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall, Thanks to my guest, Joe O'Connor. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. 